welcome to Health by Heather Hirsch, a podcast dedicated to uncovering many of the women's health issues many of us are wondering about, but few of us are talking about. My mission is to expose the current gaps in knowledge and care on all things women's health. Enjoy. Well, good afternoon, ladies. I'm so excited you've tuned in today. I have a great episode ahead for you. I I am so lucky that I have amazing friends who are also colleagues, many of whom are also fellowship trained women's health experts, um, some who have done the same fellowship I have, which was at the Cleveland Clinic in women's health. So the grandmother of all things menopause in my mind is Dr. Holly Thacker. She is actually now a bona fide grandmother and really has taught me everything that I know. So I am so honored to have been taught by some of the leading experts here in the United States. So my friend and colleague, Dr. Dr. Christy Tuff joined me for this episode. She is just an, really an amazing human. You know, when you meet a human and you're like, good human, she is honest, she is trustworthy, she is smart, she's personable. She's also a mom of three little boys of whom you might hear in the background of this episode, and she has done it all during the pandemic. She works at Northwestern, and if you are in Chicago or Illinois or in that area and you have questions about menopause and or bone health, she is a a wonderful physician whom I highly recommend you get in to see. She does do telemedicine. But I'm sure, like all of us, she is extremely busy. So if you want to see her for bone health, please check her out. I will link her professional bio down below to this episode. And I'm so excited to have had her on. We talk a ton about bone health. And I did a recent episode on this over on my YouTube channel about why you should care about bones. So a lot of you who listen to my show definitely want to know all the things about midlife, mental health, sleep. We talk a lot about hormone therapy, different types of menopause, and it's really a disservice to not talk about bone health. Uh, Me included, I feel as though I don't talk about bone health enough. So I did a recent episode over on my YouTube channel. Please go check out my YouTube channel if you haven't. Google or put in the search bar Heather Hirsch or Health by Heather Hirsch in the YouTube search and you'll see it. So I'm going to turn this episode into two parts because Dr. Tuff uh, is just a wealth of information on all things bone health, and I want to be respectful of your time, so I want to keep this under 30 minutes. So I've turned this into two episodes. I am so delighted that I've got some great colleagues coming up uh, on the podcast here. It was just some amazing topics for you over the summer. It's going to be an exciting summer, and it's really hot in my attic as I'm sitting here recording. I do all my recordings in real time. I really don't batch them, which batching means you sit down, you record a whole bunch, and then you you shoot them off. I haven't gotten organized enough to do that, so I really podcast in real time. And I'm really excited for the upcoming guests that I have this summer. If you guys like the show, please help me out. If you've wanted to know, gee, how can I help Dr. Heather Hirsch out? She does all these amazing podcasts in her own time for free, and she's got two little kids and one, a third one now, who's in the NICU. Go ahead and leave a review on iTunes, or even better, share these episodes that you love on your social media, send them to friends, email them to folks. That's called social proof. Social proof means that you know, uh, other people besides me, you know, the people who 
listen to the show say, this show's really good. It has tons of information. Dr. Hirsch is a wonderful source of free information or whatever else you would like to say, but please uh, send it to friends, family members, colleagues, or leave some stars or a review on iTunes. That helps the algorithm show this podcast to more women who are looking for all things menopause and midlife. Don't forget, check me out over on YouTube. It's Health by Heather Hirsch. And if you want to check out my course, The Complete Guide to Menopause, I definitely recommend that you do. The reason being is that as my social media platforms are really growing, I'm finding it harder and harder and harder to answer little questions here and there that you guys send to me. Now, I certainly read them all and you guys inspire so many of my episodes here on the show or also my videos over on YouTube. But if you really want to know all the things from me, check out my course, The Complete Guide to Menopause. And I also have mini courses where if you just want to learn about sleep or you just want to learn about uh, medications, I, you know, hormone therapy, or you just want to learn about genital urinary syndrome of menopause, I have mini courses there too. So go to heatherhirschmd.com under courses. You'll find them all. Without further ado, let's get into today's episode. Thank you. Thank you, Dr. Tuff, for being on the show. We're very lucky that my good friend and my colleague, Dr. Christy Tuff, who has a very impressive title. She is the assistant, she's an assistant clinical professor of OBGYN and internal medicine at Northwestern. And she's the director of the Northwestern Bone Health Program at the Center for Sexual Med and Menopause. And she and I are, we found like a wonderful window of time to talk together. So we're going to have Christy uh, Tuff talk to us about all things bone health. And I'm going to let Christy go ahead and introduce herself as well. And um, for those of you who've been listening to the podcast for a really long time, you may remember Christy from way back in one of the first like 10 or 15 episodes that I did where she was on for bone health. So welcome, Christy. All right. Well, thanks, Heather. Um, I'm so excited to be here. I think this podcast is such a wealth of information for uh, midlife women where there is such a dearth um, of uh, evidence-based information. So happy to add to that today. Um, yeah, so I work at Northwestern in Chile, Chicago. It's, it's May, which is Osteoporosis Awareness Month, but it's still 40 degrees in Chile. So hopefully we'll warm up here in a little bit and uh, get some exciting uh, discussions going today. Um, it's funny, Heather and I were just uh, discussing our home lives and our work lives, and we both are, you know, working moms making it work at home and at work in our academic roles. So I have so much respect for Heather and for, um, you know, and, and for what we're trying to do to uh, make women's health a better place. Yeah. Well, I'm so excited. I was, and I was saying, you know, before we jumped on that I really could use a refresher on bone health. And I know there's a lot of new things on the horizon. And so I'm so excited to have just a conversation with you and then have our listeners listen in on like updates in bone health. It's something that I feel as though I, I really need a straight up refresher on. So <laughs> that all being said, what is the coolest, newest thing about bone health right now? And then we'll go backwards to talk about all the other things. But what is like the coolest thing that you are just psyched about to talk about, about new things in bone health? 
Mm -hmm. Yeah. So the field, you know, is always evolving, just like menopause, just like our, you know, how we counsel our patients on hot flashes and hormone therapy. And we're always evolving on, on learning more about how that might impact cardiovascular risk and, um, you know, the treatment options that we have. And it's the same in, you know, in osteoporosis or, you know, quote unquote bone health is that they're, you know, because women are aging and some women spend a third to a half of their life post-menopause that, women are living longer. So we're seeing, you know, effects of that on the skeleton. So with whether that be skeletal fragility, whether that be fractures, um, whether that just be trying to prevent osteoporosis and maintain healthy lifestyle. So to me, I think the most exciting thing in our field is just as more awareness. And that's really important, you know, I think to discuss because we we forget about that. You know, we always highlight breast cancer and cardiovascular disease in women. And those things are very important. And I don't mean to belittle those conditions, but osteoporosis and fractures um, are very prevalent. And we know that actually one in five women will refracture after they have an initial fracture. So, so many observational studies are pointing to the fact that one fracture begets another fracture. And when we you know, diagnose that initial fracture or find, you know, that initial fracture, we can really intervene. Um, and so I think the assigning, you know, the awareness and assigning urgency to fractures is something that, you know, both, you know, primary care clinicians, as well as specialists, as well as mid-level providers, like nurse practitioners and PAs involved in this field, um, and, and really across all aspects of medicine are um, hopefully pointing to. And if they're not, and you're a patient, you know, a woman listening, and you've had a fracture, a fall from a standing height, or you've had, you know, um, osteoporosis in your family, and you haven't had a bone density scan, this is something to bring up with your doctor. I see so many patients who come, you know, around age 60 and they say, yeah, I had menopause at 50 and my mom had a hip fracture at 70 and they themselves never had a bone evaluation. Well, that's something that around menopause, you know, light should be going off in the clinician's mind as well as in your, in your mind that, all right, I'm hitting midlife, you know, I've had my colonoscopy, um, I might be dealing with some hot flashes, but I also want to be thinking about bone health. Um, because we know that osteoporosis-related fractures, you know, affect really one in two over the age of 50. Um, and, and that's maybe just generalized. We know that um, recently there was a very exciting, talk about exciting, um, the National Osteoporosis Foundation um, commissioned a actuarial firm called uh, the Millman, uh, and they were released a Millman report looking at rates of osteoporosis particularly Medicare beneficiaries. And they found that the mortality after a hip fracture was more than what we expected. It was about 30%. Wow. 90% of people needed to be hospitalized within a week after a hip fracture. Wow. Um, as, as well as that the rates of fracture varied, you know, across states, um, as well as, you know, unfortunately, we've, we do know some healthcare disparities. And I think that these past years have really um, uncovered some of that. And same in bone health, that the disparities of women, uh, black women are low, have lower rates of screening and then higher rates of fractures and higher mortality after a fracture. And so we can't just you know, generalize one in two women over the age of 50 will have a fracture. We really have to look at what are patients' lifestyles, what are their ethnicities, what are their family histories um, before we start to do some you know, sort of assessment and uh, evaluation for where your bone health status is. Wow. So much to unpack. So there's been an increased education and awareness on the clinician's shoulders of recognizing the importance of what comes after the first fracture. There's been a, a, a 
rethinking of uh, who is at higher risk or or um, healthcare disparities in bone health. Has there mm-hmm. been an increase in education and awareness on this prevention part, like the preventative aspect of just kind of like you said, like, well, time, time for your colonoscopy, time for your bone health evaluation. Has there been um, excitement and education around that too? You know, I, I like to think, I like to think so because I'm so ingrained in this field, but I do think that we still have a ways to go. You know, I think particularly the past couple of years with, without any medical congresses due to the COVID pandemic, that's generally where a lot of providers get their education. So I think that, you know, we, we still have a long a ways to go. And I've presented some abstracts at some, you know, big medical congresses to, to kind of show the gaps there and, and what we can do, what healthcare providers can do, how they can add some, you know, add some time to their visits, how they can make a separate visit, how they can uh, put this into their workflow. But I think, you know, as a patient listening, I think, you know, whether you're a clinician or, you know, perhaps menopause provider, if you're so lucky to be able to see one of those, is hopefully bringing this up. And if they're not, make sure that you are. Um, I always give give a a call out to the National Osteoporosis Foundation or NOF.org, which is you know, a, um, a treasure trove of great information, patient videos. There's actually through the pandemic, they were offering Zoom uh, video classes, balance classes. You can actually find a, a provider that's certified to read bone densitometry and talk to you about your osteoporosis and even physical therapists. I recently found there's some great physical therapists who are um, quote unquote bone fit trained. So perhaps if you're a patient who like I have, you know, live in Chicago here, people want to stay active. There's a lot of, you know, people who've moved back to the city. Um, They want to stay active, but they've maybe had a compression fracture in their spine, or they have very low spine bone density to realize what exercises can they do safely? How can they work on their postural awareness? How can they work on, um, you know, strengthening their core? What exercises are, are safe and effective? So, I think that, um, you know, all of these are, are really great, um, you know, assets. And, and again, I, I think we all need know that as women, and this is why we're trying to do these podcasts is, you know, to advocate for yourself and also to, you know, make you aware of what's out there that, that could possibly help you um, in addition to the clinicians and maybe the menopause specialists that you're seeing. Yeah. You said something so interesting, which is physical therapists who are trained in, uh, you know, osteoporosis porosis, and I'm probably saying that incorrectly and embarrassing a lot of our physical therapy colleagues, but when I used to work in Ohio, we did have said clinic, and so if anyone had an osteoporotic fracture, they would go and uh, see the physical therapist, and they would really help them learn what postures were safe, what postures were not safe, or um, uh, what strengths uh, strengthening exercises were safe and weren't, or put them at higher risk or lower risk for a fracture. And I have a lot of patients ask me about that. They'll say, well, now that I have osteopenia or now that I have osteoporosis, gee, I'm really worried about a fracture. I'm thinking about it. It's on my mind. And I think that would be such a really cool field to continue to expand. Mm-hmm. Don't you? I completely agree. And I, I think that there you, to find a specialized physical therapist is, you know, a challenge sometimes and some, and also to write the correct prescription. So if you do need, you know, strength, gait and balance, cha- you know, test, you know, testing or training, um, you know, highly specific exercises, um, you know, unfortunately, because of the gap in the providers, what I've seen is, you know, a lot of these, um, 
you know, consumer, these companies that have sort of cropped up that are sort of filling the gap, but are most likely scams. And so all these things, like recently I had a patient um, call me to ask me if this vibration weighted belt um, was approved. And it was told by the company that, oh, of course, this was FDA approved and the studies were there. And of course, when I called the company, there was no studies and the studies were possibly pending, you know, and so you buyer beware, right? Um, and I think, you know, weighted vests, there's a lot of, uh, you know, potential there, but really no evidence. Um, there's something called osteo strong that's cropped up, which is sort of a franchise of basically glorified weightlifting uh, machines. Um, so all of these vibration um, plates uh, and power plates and things like this. So there's a lot of these sort of home equipment or possibly places that patients can go, but a lot of times that's, you know, not hundred percent supervised and the claims are just, you know, false. And so, yeah. and I, and it, so in terms of, we're kind of going down this exercise here. So, you know, I always say what's good for the brain is good for the bones is good for the heart. You know, the American heart association says 150 minutes of aerobic exercise weekly. So, and what we know from bone health is that, you know, walking isn't enough. So my patients who tell me they're walkers, I say, great, that's good for your mental health but it's not going to, you know, affect your impact your bone enough to make a difference if we're trying to actually increase bone mineral density. Um, and so things like resistance exercises, things like, you know, intermittent um, exercises, if you can even jump rope, even, um, you know, uh, even, you know, CrossFit, if you can do that, but even, you know, my older patients, we can find things that they can do that are resistance exercises, core exercises, Pilates, um, even just, you know, trying to do as many sit to stands as you can in 20 minutes working on postural awareness, overhead extension. So I, I do a lot of that in my office. Actually, I've kind of learned this over the years and trained myself. So I do some assessment and then give some physical therapy uh, recommendations and exercise recommendations. Oh my gosh, um, you are so good at this. You are so good at this. You really know this stuff inside and out. And I love that you called the like vibrating company yourself. You like took the extra time out of your day to like call them. Like you, you would definitely do that. And I love that about you because you take that extra step. And that's really interesting because I, there's definitely a boom in femtech, right? Totally. And I think for us who are clinicians and and scientists and researchers, it is this double-edged sword because certainly it means that, okay, people are recognizing there's a market and that's great and there's a need and that's true and we know that, but they're also filling it with uh, potentially a lot of garbage and they're, they're taking advantage of that vulnerability that women have in midlife to stay young, fit, and healthy. And you just totally brought that to light. Mm -hmm. But it's, it's, it is, again, I think sort of a reflection that hopefully or ideally actually more women are thinking about preventative bone health or once they get osteopenia, thinking about what they can do. Because one of the things that's always so frustrating for me, and I would imagine for you, but I'd love your perspective, is that osteopenia is normal. Mm -hmm. So what else do we know about osteopenia that mm -hmm. may be new or, you know, um, just kind of what, what is, what is the trend in osteopenia before we jump back yeah. to osteoporosis? No, I think that, um, and, and I, you're right. You're right, Heather. I mean, a lot of people come with bone densities and they don't really know the results or maybe they've done a deep dive and they're sort of totally confused by, by getting down the rabbit holes of, of some of the chats. And, and so what osteopenia, actually the term we, is a little bit antiquated. We now are using the term low bone mass um, uh, instead of osteopenia, just technically. But 
And so basically, I describe it to my patients as sort of like, okay, normal bone density is green, you know, go like, looks like you're doing everything right, whether that's that, you know, if we're getting a bone density right at the time of menopause, that you had normal bone mass acquisition, which means, remember, you know, we diagnose osteoporosis and osteopenia, we have to, it's a comp, it's a composite of, you know, where was your bone density when we, you know, you started from teens and puberty and through your 20s and then where your bone density sort of peaked out whenever you went through menopause. Sometimes that's in your 40s, um, sometimes that's in your 50s. Um, and then, you know, if we do a bone density at the time of menopause, that's, you know, 50, 51, um, that's your sort of where you peaked out, where your net bone mass was. And your bone bank is sort of what you've built through that, those years. Um, and, and then, so and for some women who are 50 and let's say you have menopause 12 months without a period and they get a bone density at 51 and they have osteopenia, a T-score of, or low bone mass of T-score of minus 1.1 to minus 2.4, that's because of their either genetics or their lifestyle factors. And that's all the bone that they're going to have. And so the goal then for that patient is really to maintain as much bone mass as we can. So we have discussions about appropriate calcium, which, you know, is sort of all over the map, but generally to try and get as much calcium in your diet as well. Sometimes we need to add supplements, make sure your vitamin D is, is normal. So many patients have vitamin D deficiency, trying to make sure that that's normal. Then the exercise component that we talked about, but also some of the other things that are going to affect your menopause symptoms, make sure you're not smoking. Alcohol, I think this year with COVID pandemic, I have definitely seen either patients realize they were possibly drinking too much alcohol before this when they were home, it kind of highlighted it or that, you know, they've, you know, realizing they're, they need to cut back now, you know, the pandemic is over and, you know, we got to shed these 15 pounds and the 15 drinks that, you know, you're having a week. And so, yeah. so alcohol, um, and then obviously, you know, you know, hearing about past history of smoking and understand how that possibly goes into it. Um, you know, patients, there's a lot of patients, we're talking about the healthy patient, but I, you know, we see patients with many complications, rheumatoid arthritis, perhaps been on steroids, um, thinking about patients with endometriosis on possibly taking Lupron or infertility in the past and things like this, that those treatments that can all affect bone loss. So all the things that kind of went into it. And then we move forward. And really the moving forward is, you know, making sure that we're serially checking bone density. This is on our radar. You know, if you get a colonoscopy, they're going to check and they see an abnormality, they're going to check it in a couple of years. It's the same thing with, with bone density and following that along because there can be some steep losses around the menopause transition. Some people can lose five to 20% of their bone mass through menopause. We're still trying to find out who are those high risk women? And some people, it's patients who we've noticed have some people with hot flashes. Actually, some studies have shown have more bone loss. Um, sometimes it can be related to estradiol levels or estrogen levels, but we really haven't figured out those women. So that's why it's so important to serially check. And then just like you, Heather, you know, I am very evidence-based and have discussions with women on hormone therapy. So we know that hormone therapy is the is a gold standard to reduce, you know, hot flashes, vaginal dryness, painful intercourse, and a whole panoply of you know, menopause symptoms. But it also prevents osteoporotic related fractures um, by about thirty to forty percent after three to five years of use. We know from the Women's Health Initiative study. So. So many good, so it not only reduces the risk of fracture, but it also maintains the bone mineral density. We can use ultra low doses. We can use me medium side doses that are appropriate. So I use a lot of estrogen to try and um, help prevent bone loss, particularly in appropriate women. And sometimes we use that as the primary indication. And that is something that 
needs to be recognized. And I think, you know, we, we know, and I know you've addressed this in many of your videos about, you know, hormone therapy and, and sort of the good, bad, and the ugly, but, you know, when it, we shake it out and we need the indications are really, really important to understand. And if you have osteoporosis or osteopenia and you're high risk and you're in your 50s, hormone therapy is going to prevent your bone loss. Um, and, and that can be used in, indefinitely. Obviously, we want to evaluate year to year and do individualized therapy, but that can be used for many years. So it's not has to be cut off. Um, it, it always hurts my heart when I see women who you know, came in, come in their 60s and 70s and were on hormones for 10 years. Someone told them to stop and then they eventually have osteoporosis and bone loss when they could have safely continued on low dose transdermal, perhaps hormone therapy. So, um, so, so those are options. Obviously, the bisphosphonate classes of medicines, which are um, largely anti-resorptive medicines that are usually taken orally. Some are IV, are actually also indicated to prevent osteoporosis. So those are things like um, uh, alendronate or residronate or things like zoledronic acid, which is IV. So, um, so we have some of those options. And then the last class, which is also the forgotten stepchild, is, is medications called selective estrogen receptor modulators, or CIRMs, such as things like um, tamoxifen or raloxifene, which if you have the alternate, if you're a high risk for breast cancer, or if you have a very a lower spine T-score alone, those medications will really improve your trabecular bone mineral density and can reduce rates of vertebral fractures and increase your bone mineral density at your, at your spine and at your, at your hip site. So um, I, I counsel on those medications um, and those are oral daily medicines taken very well um, tolerated and, and are, can be very effective. Sometimes most patients just hear about those from their oncologists or their, you know, high risk breast cancer folks, but we know that these are highly underutilized and effective generic medications. And so, um, and so, you know, we don't actually have that many options really for osteopenia, but we have enough. And I really think that between either, you know, aggressive lifestyle modification with calcium, vitamin D exercise, and then reducing those, you know, um, alcohol and tobacco and, and possibly other things um, can be helpful. Hormone therapies right up there, as well as um, some of the uh, uh, anti-resorptive uh, medications and possibly even a selective estrogen receptor modulator. All right, guys, I'm going to leave you hanging right there. In part two, which is going to come out next Wednesday, we're going to get into a little bit more about osteoporosis and the new treatment options for osteoporosis. You are not going to want to miss it. Thank you guys again for listening to Health by Heather Hirsch every Wednesday. Please, again, share this podcast if you liked it, and please check out Dr. Tuff at the links below in this episode. I'll see you guys next week for part two. Bye, everyone.